Hallelujah. I said, Hallelujah. Somebody shout, Glory! Two hands above your head and we clap and a joyful shout. Let's receive our Papa, Dr. Amen Damina. Glory. Amen. Are you excited this morning? What's happening to my lights? What's happening to my lights? No, this design is not accepted. It's not a good one. <laughs> Praise God. Are we excited in the building? Praise God. Lift your right hands. Let's pray together. Father, we rejoice this morning and we thank you for the privilege. The privilege to come before your holy, precious, written word. And we thank you for the privilege to grow in the knowledge of all that Christ has made available to us. Revelation knowledge is gifted everybody under the sound of my voice. I decree and declare that whatever is not planted by God is rooted out. But in St. Luke's are destroyed. Your people are built up, equipped, edified, and Jesus is glorified. Thank you, Lord, that your word comes with power. Your word comes with confirmation. And everybody leaves this place built up, equipped, and Jesus is glorified today. In Jesus' precious name, and every believer sees it powerfully. Amen. Lift your right hands to heaven. Let's release our faith together. As we say these words, I am born of God. I am born of the world. The word of God is my nature. I do not struggle to do the world. I do the world naturally. Therefore today, I will understand the word of his grace. I will be built up. By the end of this service, I will never be the same. Never ever be the same again. In Jesus' name. And every believer says a powerful amen. We well, want to welcome everybody connected to this service by way of Kingdom Life Network, Facebook, YouTube, Twitter, Instagram. All of you that are connected, social media, our brothers and sisters online, we love you. We're glad to have all of you in church this morning. Guys, it's going to be an exciting study of God's word. I also want to welcome all the radio audience connected to this service right now in Aquaibom. Wherever you're hearing the sound of my voice, we love you. We're glad you're a part of our service this morning. Get a friend, get a family member, get somebody close to you. Ask them to tune to this radio station right now. Life is flowing through the airwaves. Our social media community helped me share the videos. Let's get the word around the world. Let's lighten the dark places of the earth. All our campuses around the world, we want to welcome all of you to the service this morning. All our brothers in different countries and continents, we're glad to have all of you in church. Guys, it's going to be exciting as we look into the glorious light of the gospel. Let me also announce that today our Ogba campus in Lagos have relocated to a new meeting site. And so they are having both first and second services in the new venue. The new address is number 37 Ijaye Road in between local government, I mean LG and Stambik IBTC of Balagos. They meet every Sunday, first service, 7.30, second service, 10.30. And when we are back to usual services from after next Sunday, every Wednesday, 5.30 p.m., they are no more at Excellence Hotel. So we congratulate the brethren at Ogba Campus. Can we celebrate them? Praise God. I said praise God. All right, is there anybody in the building excited about the word of God this morning? If you're excited about the word, can I see some celebration about God's word in this building? Glory! Amen. 
Grab your pen, your notebook, your Bible. You can be seated with your sweet, smart self this morning as we get into the word of his grace. Now, in the first service, I took time to look at, uh, you know, something that it's critical in the things we're going to do in this service. So if you are not here, I will advise you to get the message of the first service and, you know, be, do your due diligence and grab all that we taught to be able to lay some foundation for some things I will say in this service. We've been examining Brother Paul's revelation of identification in Christ, the signature of the Pauline theology in Christ. The book of Second Peter, chapter 3, verse number 15, Brother Peter begins to say some things very strong about the Pauline letters. An account that the long-suffering of our Lord is salvation. Even as our beloved brother Paul also, according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you. So brother Peter says, God gave to Paul an insight, the word Sophia, a wisdom. There's wisdom given to Paul, and that wisdom is in how he brings Christ out of the Old Testament. And then we began to do a study this morning on the word revelation, which is the word apocalypsis. That revelation, that insight that comes with the teachings of Brother Paul. And as we were rounding up the service, we said that Brother Paul, therefore, his teachings advances and sheds light on the way we use and understand words in the Old Testament. The Pauline teaching advances. That's why we say that the, the writings of Paul are the advanced teachings of Christ by the Spirit of Christ. So it advances and it sheds light on the way we use and understand words in the Old Testament. Remember, we said the basis of the Pauline revelation are Old Testament terms, Old Testament practices, Old Testament experiences, and Old Testament words. Let's follow something around Brother Paul. Look at the Acts 15 experience, the Acts chapter 15 experience. His very first sermon, the first sermon of Paul after his conversion, we hear of in details, is in Acts chapter 13. And you will have an idea of how Brother Paul preached. He was talking to the Jews and he picked his history of his revelation from the Old Testament. Let's look at it a bit. Acts chapter 13, he begins to talk about Israel from Egypt. He's, he spoke about all the kings. Then he went to John the Baptist, to the incarnation of Christ. Then in Acts chapter 13, verse 26, put it up for me. Acts chapter 13, verse number 26. He says, men and brethren, children of the stock of Abraham, and whosoever among you feared God, to you is the word of this salvation saint. I mean, look at the way Paul spoke. To you is the word of this salvation sent. Now, he now went to the stock of Abraham, meaning he went back to Genesis. Then he talked about the promise that God made to Abraham, that he has fulfilled it to us, their children, in that he has raised Jesus from the dead. Then in Acts 13, 39, he talks about justification through believing justification he says and by him all that believe are justified from all things from which you could not be justified by the law of moses then in verse 38 of that same context he now says that forgiveness of sins is preached unto you through this man 
So he's focused on what you can call the height. The height or the apex of his revelation will be the resurrection. The apex, the height of brother Paul's revelation will be the resurrection. So just like all the apostles, the resurrection was Paul's revelation of Jesus. The resurrection was Paul's revelation of Jesus. Just like the other apostles. The resurrection is Paul's revelation of Jesus. That's why it was important that Jesus appeared to him. And the appearance of Jesus to Paul was confirmed by Ananias. And it had to be like that. It was confirmed by Ananias. Ananias was told exactly what Paul will do. And if you observe again in Acts chapter 13, it was others that again prophesied. Separate unto me Paul and Barnabas for the work that I have called them. For the work. Now, in that Acts chapter 13 verse 2, that prophecy affirmed what God already told Paul, what Ananias confirmed. Then in Acts chapter 13 again, the apostles and teachers and prophets affirmed it. I believe that that prophecy included that vision because it says for the work. For the walk. You remember the vision of Paul where he says, And whereupon, O King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the heavenly vision. For the walk, I have called him. Which actually means, for the walk, I have called Paul. It will be to reference what Ananias saw. Because the whole church heard it. The apostles knew about it. And he knew that Jesus appeared to the brother. And told him to do, you know, so and so. And gave him specific details. And it was evident. So the prophecy that was given to him acknowledged that among the prophets in Acts chapter 13. Now in Acts chapter 15, notice the issues. Notice, please pay attention. Notice the issues. The issues were circumcision. Circumcision. And if you observe, during that argument, the issue of circumcision was not even touched. They didn't touch it. They didn't discuss it. Everybody just discussed and left the issue of circumcision hanging. They taught faith, but left circumcision. They left it alone. So a first set of people came up and said, if you're not circumcised, you cannot be saved. Please, I beg you, don't be distracted at all. If you're not circumcised, you cannot be saved. Then another set came up in verse 5 of Acts 15. And of course, Paul and Barnabas, they had their own and said, No, it can't be. Look at it, Acts 15, verse 5. But there arose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed. They were believers, but they still had Judaism attached to their Christianity. Saying that it was needful, needful to circumcise them. And to command them to keep the law of Moses. That it was needful. <laughs> Pay attention. Now, Paul and Barnabas said no. In verse 2, it says there was no, the dissension was sharp. Give me verse 2 of that same context. Verse 2. When therefore Paul and Barnabas had no small dissension and disputation. That is, there was a rancor. There was rough quarrel. It was no small at all. You know, Luke is the person who gave us this account. And trust Luke to do justice to the account. Luke didn't 
paint words. He said that they had no small dissension and disputation with them. There was sharp because this issue of circumcision was a major issue. Listen, circumcision is not just about removing the foreskin of the male. It's bigger than that. That's why I'm begging you to pay attention because that will take us into some things that will help you with the defense of your understanding of the gospel. Now, so there was heavy situation on this requirement they were imposing on the Gentiles. They determined that Paul and Barnabas and certain other of them should go up to Jerusalem unto the apostles and elders about this question. It was a general church issue that required Paul and Barnabas to appear before the Jerusalem council on the issue of circumcision as a requirement for salvation. This is Acts chapter 15. When you would think the church had grown. So that's why you shouldn't be surprised that in chapter 10 they are still baptizing people. When even in chapter 15, they are not yet clear on what is salvation. They are not even yet clear on what is salvation because now they are attaching legalism, the law of Moses. And when you hear the law of Moses, it's not just the law. There's more to it. There's more to it. Okay? Now, that's in chapter 15. But of course, if you observe, as they were growing, they were dropping things. Peter in chapter 5 killed Ananias and Sapphira. He killed them because they came and they lied. He finished them. But as he grew, when the sorcerer, when the sorcerer Simon came and said, take money and give me power, that was more annoying than lying. He didn't kill him. He said, look, you, this thing you have done is not a good thing. Repent of it. So see spiritual growth, in chapter 5, he couldn't even accommodate. He killed. Later on now, somebody has done worse than Ananias and Sapphira. He tells them to go and repent because growth is coming in. Are you understanding? The church is growing. They have dropped baptism after chapter 10. Nobody baptized again. They have dropped it because it's not New Testament. It's not a doctrine of the church. So they were dropping things. That is why the book of Acts is an eyewitness account, a journalistic account, Dr. Luke, narrating to you how the church started, how the church grew, the things the church dropped, the things the church emphasized, so that you have a, an overview of how the church of Jesus came about in the New Testament. Am I communicating? Now, so this issue was such an issue that they had to go to Jerusalem and face the fathers of the faith in that day with the subject of circumcision. And you know, the, the thing that is beautiful about this is that is how issues should be dealt with. When they say doctrinal issues, the people that are called fathers of faith should sit down on a round table, nobody look, trying to claim superiority. Everybody sit down. We go through the scriptures. And everybody understands. Once the scriptures are clearly explained, everybody drops their bias and takes side with the scriptures. Not to say this is how we have been doing it. Since before you were born, we have been doing it. That's not the way to do doctrine. Because in doctrinal issues, we don't take sides. Our only side is the scripture. We stay with the authority of the scriptures. Am I communicating at all? He said, okay, since we can't agree here, 
Then Paul and Barnabas go to Jerusalem, meet the council, and talk to them about this matter. Let the church take a decision on the matter. That's how to deal with doctrine. Not to be calling names and to be attacking. Heretic. Heretic. When knowledge is bigger than you, heretic. Heretic. Define heretic. You can't even define it. I'm speaking now. Heretic. <laughs> when you don't know something, heretic. Heretic is a short form for ignorance. <laughs> In our day today. <laughs> Are you still here? Okay, so if anybody knows how to report accounts, it should be Dr. Luke. So Acts chapter 15 verse 2. It wasn't, can we disagree to agree? No, that was not the issue. The issue was that this is wrong. It's not let's look for a middle ground where we can all, mm -mm. the issue of circumcision as a requirement for salvation is a capital N-O-N-O. -N -O. It's not a matter of, can we be practicing it? Can we, okay, let those that want it do now, does it affect any, eh, eh, it's a no. It's not a compromising situation. Then another set in verse 5 that we saw, they make it clear. Look at how they explain circumcision. In that Acts 15, 5, observe. But there rose up certain of the sect of the Pharisees which believed, they were believers, saying, now they are believers, but now they are saying that it was needful to circumcise the Gentiles. What is circumcision? To command them to keep the law of Moses. So circumcision is a short form for keeping the law of Moses. To command them to keep the law of Moses. <laughs> so circumcision becomes a short form of keeping the law of Moses. Which obviously refers to the ceremonial laws. Ceremonial laws. And then underlying it will be being justified by works. Because that's the law of Moses. You keep the ceremonial laws... And underlying it, you now have to qualify for justification by your works. Not having works that are justified. Not having works that are justified. That is the death of Jesus justified the works of the believer. Because the justification of love is the justification of Christ's faithfulness. However, the understanding of the law, you do it the other way around. You do it to be justified. Not that Jesus' obedience has justified you. Now you have to qualify by performance. So you do it because your justification will be by works. So Paul simply takes the Old Testament verbiage and said, No. You don't do this to be accepted. You do it because you are accepted. You don't pray to be accepted of God. But because you are accepted of God, you pray. You don't give to be accepted of God. 
But because God has accepted you, you give. The Lord turns it the other way around. Which renders the work of Christ null and void. So therefore, it becomes Christ in you. Not you through Christ. So Christ becomes the justification. And Paul will call it, everything is fulfilled in one world. Love which Christ did. Love, love, love. So you find these short forms. Short forms. I've been dealing with short forms, right? You find these short forms. He comes here, he said, look, you can't say people need to keep the laws of Moses. Then discussion began. And Peter brings in a vital truth. I love brother Peter. He brings in a vital truth that you will now see in Paul's wisdom. Peter brings in a vital truth that you will now see in Paul's wisdom. Acts 15, 7 and 8. Pay attention. And when there had been much disputing, much disputing, Peter rose up and said unto them, Men and brethren, you know how that a good while ago, God made choice among us, that the Gentiles by my mouth should hear the word of the gospel and believe. Hear and believe. Next verse. And God, which knoweth the hearts, bore them witness when they heard and believed, giving them the Holy Ghost when they heard and believed without the law. God which knoweth their hearts bore witness to their faith by giving them the Holy Ghost even as he did unto us who were circumcised. This is Elder Peter. Apostle Peter speaking. Now, by using that, he says in verse 9, <clears throat> verse 9, same context, verse 9, and put no difference between us and them, purifying their hearts, how? By faith. So Peter has just given you an idea of what Paul was teaching. An idea of what Paul was teaching. He is not, that is, that God is not cutting bodies. He is cutting hearts. That purification happens by the gospel. Look at verse 10 of the same context. Verse 10. <clears throat> verse 10. Now therefore, now therefore, hey, yeah, 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 yeah. why tempt ye God? To put a yoke upon the neck of the disciples, which neither our fathers nor we were able to bear. So, the same issues, because James tried to settle the matter, but he didn't settle it well. So, the matter came up again in chapter 21 of Acts. It didn't finish. It came up again. So, we are not justified by works. But those works have been justified to us or justified in us. The way Paul will put it in Romans chapter 8 verse 3 and 4. For what the law, put it up for me, Romans 8, 3 and 4. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, 
God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin where? In the flesh. Everybody read together with me very loud verse 4. That the righteousness might be where? Fulfilled where? Who walk not after the flesh? So the righteousness of the law by the death and the resurrection of Christ without us lifting a finger the righteousness of the law has been fulfilled in us. Not by us. In us. By the obedience and the faithfulness of Christ. Is it getting clear? Please stay with me. Now, you will soon find out where we are going. So Jesus made it right. We are not right because we do it. Jesus made it right by dying for us. Raised from the dead. And now he lives in us. Paul will call it the fruit of the spirit. The fruit of the spirit means the result of the spirit. That is when the spirit is in the believer. This is the resultant effect. Love. Love which expresses itself in joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness. All of those are expressions of the fruit. One fruit of the spirit. We don't have fruits. We have a fruit. The love of God. Expressed in all of those ways. So Jesus justified it. And we live in that justification. So Acts 21, 20 now. Let's get to that. Acts 21, 20 to 21. Acts 21, 20 to 21. Put it up. Acts 21, 20 to 21. Acts 21, verse 20. And when they heard it, they glorified the Lord. And said unto him, Thou seest, brother, how many thousands of Jews there are which believe. And they are all zealous of the law. They are believers in Jesus also. But they are very zealous of the law of Moses. A combination of Judaism and Christianity. That's what many churches are practicing. It's a combo. And once you combine it, you neutralize the work of Christ. That is, you make what Christ did ineffective. How many of you remember the message of the cross? You remember the message of the cross? I taught on Saturday and on Friday. Okay. Now, look at the next verse. They are zealous of the law. And they are informed of thee. <laughs> they are informed of Paul. That thou teachest all the Jews. Which are among the Gentiles. To forsake Moses. Saying that they ought not to circumcise their children. Neither to walk after the customs. Wow. So circumcision. Like we have said. In this series is a short form of observing the ceremonial laws. Please, I beg you, stay with me. Of observing the ceremonial laws. To make you stand before God by observing the law. Or to make you stand holy and righteous by observing the law. And what has Paul done? He abandons all those things. And he concludes... That I don't need to do it. It is the work of Christ in me. He simply uses the same words. The same ceremonies. You're not hearing. You're not hearing. You're not hearing. He simply uses 
Paul simply uses the same words, the same ceremonies to teach the works of Christ. If you understood that, then you are with me. If that makes sense to you, then you are with me. If that doesn't make sense to you, you need to pray in tongues. For example, he takes the Passover. Hmm? Huh? He takes what? Okay, where did the Passover start from? In the Bible. Exodus. So he takes a verbiage of Moses which Jesus joined in the practice. He takes a term of the Old Testament called the Passover and he brings Christ from the Passover. He leaves the ceremony. He takes the message out and he teaches it without the ceremony. You're not following? Are you following? Dr. Damina, why don't you just allow people to do the communion now? After all, if they eat and drink, it does not spoil anything. Who told you? Who told you? Huh? Who told you? As long as your eyes are on elements, there is a veil on you. You can never see Jesus while you are seeing bread and ribina in a cup. Because to you, the bread and ribina becomes your Jesus. But when your heart will leave bread and ribina, the veil will leave you. Then you will see Christ. Am I teaching? First Corinthians 5 7. Let's read together. First Corinthians chapter 5, verse 7. Can we all read together? Everybody want to go? Purge out therefore the old living, that you may be a new lump, as you are unliving. Who is unliving? The bread or you? Eh? Eh? Who is the bread? Okay, leave the bread. We will answer that after this. Answer this one first. Who is unleavened? You or the bread? Read now. Read. That's why some people fail jump. <laughs> Let's go. One to go. Purge out therefore the old living. That who? You may be what? As who is unleavened? So who is the unliving bread? You. Why are you unliving? Now go forward. For even Christ what? Is. So our Passover, is it a Jewish practice or a person? Exactly. So what Paul does is, he abandons the ceremony. He takes out the message of the ceremony. Because the ceremony was a message communicating Christ. You're catching the flow, right? 
He brings Christ out. Passover, feast of the Jews. Paul said, beyond the feast. See the reason for the feast. Christ. Once you see the reason for the feast, you don't need the feast. Did you get that? You only keep the feast when you don't know the reason. The moment you see the reason, then you don't need the feast again. But if you stay with the feast, you can never see the reason for the feast. Dr. Damina. Dr. Damina. <laughs> I meet these people every day. Dr. Damina, if God didn't really want us to practice the communion, the communion, they wouldn't make it sound nice. The communion. If Christ doesn't want us to practice the communion, I'm talking about the holy communion. Why did brother Paul, why did Paul talk about it? In 1 Corinthians 11. You know your problem. English language. That's your problem. English language is your problem. 1 Corinthians 11. Verse 20. <laughs> when you come together. When you come how? Together. Therefore, into one place. This is not to eat the Lord's Supper. I never read finish. Next verse. For in eating, everyone taketh before order his own supper. He's dealing with supper. He's not dealing with holy communion. He's dealing with supper. Supper means evening food. Supper means dinner. Supper means that food you are not eating because you are fasting now. You see why English is their problem? Not your own, their own. For in eating, everyone take it. You, you, you people say you are brethren. Wait, 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 wait. Wait, wait. Stay with me. Stay. Before chapter 11 is chapter 10. He does not expect you to read 11 before 10. So let's obey the rule of contextual reading. 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 16. Are you still here? The cup of blessing which we bless. Is it not the communion of the blood of Christ? The bread which we break. Remember, Paul will use their verbiage. He will use it the way they use it. But at the end of it, he will remove Christ and drop it. You're flowing, you're flowing, you're flowing. The bread which we break. Is it not the communion of the body? The body? Of Christ. Next verse. For we be many. 
Wait, 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 wait. 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 Let's read together. Everybody want to go. For we, being many, are one bread. Is the bread from bakery or you are the bread? Who is the bread? Not a gege bread. Okay. <laughs> we are not only one bread and one body. For we all of which bread? Which bread is that? Who is the living bread? Jesus. So we are members of his body. Which means we are partakers of that one bread. Bakery bread or Christ. Stay with me. Next verse. Behold, Israel after the flesh. Israel after the flesh. And not they which eat of the sacrifices, partakers of the altar. Next verse. What say I then? That the idol is anything, or that which is offered in sacrifice to idols is anything. He's still dealing with the ceremonial laws. So it was from this premise, he now flipped to chapter 11, verse 20, where we started. So now put it up again. Let's now go. When you come together, therefore, into one place, this is not to eat the Lord's Supper. Next verse. For in eating, everyone taketh before order his own supper. One is hungry. You came to eat dinner as one bread. As members of one body. And yet in eating you are selfish. Because this brother is Sunday school teacher. When he was serving his own food he put extra large. So the elders took extra large. Before members came the meat has finished. By the time a few members took, the rice finished. The only thing that remained was Fanta and Coke for the others. After a while, others, pure water. Paul says, and one is hungry and another is drunken. Next verse. What? Have you not houses to eat and to drink in? Or despise ye the church of God and shame them that have not? What shall I say to you? Shall I praise you in this? I praise you not. <laughs> Next verse. For I have received of the Lord. What is Paul dealing with? Supper. And how people are eating without considering that's the subject. So he now brings in an analogy. A parable that will further explain that we are one body. Nobody should eat while the other is hungry. How does he bring that in? For I have received of the Lord, that which also I delivered unto you, that the Lord Jesus, who is one body representing all of us as a body, the same night in which he was betrayed, took bread. He took bread. Eh? And when he had given thanks, 
he broke it and said, take it. This is my body, which is broken for you. This do in remembrance of me. That is what Jesus said. It is not an instruction for today. He is making a reference. If you went to school by now, you know what I'm saying. And even if you didn't go to school, if you listen to the Holy Spirit, you understand. He's not teaching what Jesus did in that night. He's using what Jesus did in that night to rebuke their selfishness. Next verse. After the same manner also, he took the cup. When he has stopped saying, this cup is the New Testament in my blood. This do ye as of as you drink it. In remembrance of me, he's quoting Luke. Next verse. For as often as you eat this bread and drink this cup, you do show the Lord's death till he comes. Next verse. Wherefore, whosoever shall eat this bread and drink this cup of the Lord unworthily shall be guilty of the body. How do you eat it unworthily? Next verse. But let a man examine himself and so let him eat of that bread and drink of that cup. How do you examine yourself? Observe. For he that eateth and drinketh unworthily eateth and drinketh damnation to himself. Why is it damnation to eat and drink the supper? What makes you to eat and drink the supper unworthily? Not discerning the lost body. Where is the body of the Lord? Brethren. So if you eat and not consider that Dr. Gabriel will eat after you, the food you are eating becomes damnation to you. Because when Jesus broke his body, he equally shared it for us. When he shed his blood, he gave us equal blood to partake. So we too, when we come together to eat supper, we should share our food equally. That is the lesson Paul is teaching, not some communion ritual. And this is the only verse that they use. And now, if you really understand English, I didn't even use Greek and Hebrew here. You should now know that you are not a ritualist. Supper, evening food. And he said the reason. In fact, look at the next verse. This will be clearer now. For this cause, many are weak and sickly among you, and many sleep. Then they tell you if you eat that, their communion. Unwordly, you will die. No, no, no. What Paul is saying is, what Paul is saying is, because you do not discern the need of one another. Some of you are starving for five days. The only opportunity to eat, you still deprive the person. So the person goes home hungry and the starvation continues. And nobody considers that a brother is in need. And after a while, the starvation turns into, you know, a malnutrition case. Before you know it, disease is starting and the brother dies. And because you are not taking care of one another and feeling for each other, some of you have entered a state of weakness. 
And some of you are even sick. He's not saying you ate something and you're sick. He's saying because of your selfishness, people are sick among you and people are dying and nobody is looking after their welfare. That is not how Jesus died. The death of Jesus cattered for everybody. So the same way Jesus died and gave us his blood and his body to cater for all of us, we too should exemplify what we see in Christ by taking care of each other. That's what Paul is teaching. That's what Paul is teaching. So that's why Paul will say, Christ our Passover. So he abandons the feast, he takes the lesson out of this feast and teaches it to us as a message. Now, I'm on a journey here, man. So Christ is Passover in us. That is what Christ did becomes justified works in us. He is now Passover in us. That is, we now discern others. We love them. And we share with one another. So Paul's Passover will be Christ-directed. Paul's ceremony Paul's circumcision is Christ in us. So when Paul is teaching circumcision, he is revealing to you Christ in you. That Christ does not take away the physical foreskin of your body. He cuts your heart. Then Paul now says the gospel is the power of God unto salvation. Meaning that is the ability of God. So Paul simply communicates all those ceremonies in words as Christ's work or as Christ's gospel. Paul's water is Christ. Paul's water is Christ. It's not River Jordan. The washing of water by his reasoning. The washing of water by his reasoning or the washing of water by the word. The word means reasoning. His word is not what he is saying. His word is what he did. The washing of water by his word. Ephesians 5.26 Ephesians 5.26 that he might sanctify and cleanse it with the washing of water through the vehicle of the word. What he was talking about, Christ sanctifying work by dying. That's what Paul is talking about. By dying and purchasing for himself a glorious body. So he changes the direction. See that? Paul's baptism is what Christ has done. You understand? When Paul is teaching baptism, he's not teaching John's baptism. Paul's baptism is the message of Christ's work. Oh, you will see it in a few minutes. So he brings all those ceremonies into the vocabulary of Christ's work. All the ceremonies. And Peter obviously taught the same way. In 1 Peter chapter 3 verse 18 Look at how Peter will communicate the same thoughts 
For Christ also hath once suffered for sins. The just for the unjust. That he might bring us to God. Being put to death in the flesh. But quickened by the spirit. Next verse. By which also, please pay attention. By which also he went and preached unto the spirits in prison. Now, follow. Because if you miss there, you may miss something. Which spirits did he preach to? It's not Christ that preached. Look at the next verse. Who did the preaching? Which sometime were disobedient when once the long suffering of God waited in the days of Noah while the ark was a preparing. We are in few. That is eight souls were saved by water. Don't forget. He had already said, Peter has said, in first peter don't go there just write it for for the study first peter 1 10 11 and 12 he says of which salvation the prophets have inquired searching what time the spirit of christ which was in them did testify the sufferings of christ and the glory that will follow to whom it was revealed that not unto them but unto us so Peter, i mean noah was one of those prophets who inquired. Noah was one of those prophets who inquired and searched diligently. Who prophesied of the grace that should come to you. So it's by that that the spirits were preached to. Noah by his inquiry, by speaking of the grace of God, he was preaching to the spirits of the people of his day. It's Noah that did the preaching. What was he preaching? He was preaching the gospel of Christ. Because Noah was a prophet. Look at verse 19 and 20 of this. Stay with verse 20. So we move to 21. 21 now. The light figure Follow me. The light figure whereunto even baptism. Now Paul, Peter is about to teach baptism the way Paul teaches it. Even baptism doth also now save us. Which baptism saves us? Not the putting away of the field of the flesh. Not physical water baptism. But the answer of a good conscience towards God. So the baptism Peter is talking of here is not water. is born again by the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Next verse. Who is gone into heaven? And is on the right hand of God. Angels and authorities and powers being made subject unto him. He calls the resurrection of Jesus that baptism. And the waters of Noah are figurative. The waters of Noah are figurative of the baptism which is regeneration. So Paul therefore will warn us. Warn us of those who rather than see those ceremonies who instead of seeing those ceremonies said by Moses as a pointer, 
a figurative expression of what Christ will do, which should be the apocalypse in our hearts. The revelation in those ceremonies should be the apocalypse in our hearts, not a ritual in our churches. It should be the revelation in our hearts. He says, anyone who teaches them literally those ceremonies, he said, beware of that person. Paul warns us. Beware of dogs. Beware of dogs. He warns us. Beware of the concision. Philippians 3, 2. Paul now warns us. Beware of dogs. Beware of evil workers. Beware of the concision. He doesn't advise us. He warns us. Beware of false circumcision. Which is a shorthand. Eh? For the law of Moses. That word false circumcision is the word katatomi in the Greek. Katatomi. K-A-T-A-T-O-M-E. Katatomi. Beware of dogs is the word koon. Koon in the Greek. K-U-O-N. Which is used literally by Jesus in Luke 16, 21, in the parable of Lazarus and the rich man. But then he used it figuratively in Matthew 7, 6. Put up Matthew 7, 6. See the way Jesus used it figuratively. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Give not that which is holy unto the dogs. Figuratively used by Jesus. Is used also when he was in the plural when he was talking to the Syrophoenician woman in Matthew 15 26. Cuparion, that's plural. We shall not give the children's bread to dogs. Cuparion, to dogs. Why do you use the word dogs? Second Peter 2.22 Beware of dogs. But it is happened unto them according to the true proverb. The dog is returned to its own vomit again. And the soul that was washed to her wallowing in the mire. You know, even Bible say a Christian is a dog and a dog can go back to his vomit. A dog can backslide. Christian is a dog. How do you read? Please don't insult the school fees that your father paid for you to go to school. How? He was a dog before he came where we were. And when he went back, he remained a dog. He never got saved. Once a dog, he was never born again. That's why the dog has gone back. Because if it was a dog, it is a dog, it will be a dog. 
If any man be in Christ, you can't be in the world a dog and be in Christ a dog. So that verse is not talking about backsliding. We don't backslide. We front slide. We are not Michael Jackson. We before I give you front sliding, front sliding steps now. Sakabada. A dog. Beware of dogs. Then he says, without our dogs. Where are dogs? Without. You, where are you? Within. You are in Christ. Without, that is outside Christ, are dogs. In Christ, new creature, a new kind of humanity. So, what do we mean by dog? It's used for irreverent. Irreverent. People that do not have reverence. Which is also used for those who persecute the gospel. Persecute the gospel. They are dogs. Those who don't see what you are saying as important. When you are bringing pure word. And people treat you to disdain. Those people are dogs. A dog is one that has no value for the things of the spirit. That's the, that's the adjective that is used to describe people that are profane. Profanity. Doggilism. If there's no English like that, I just created one. And doesn't it sound great? Doggilism. Dogilism is an act of disdaining precious things. How do you spell it? Anyhow you spell. Lekotobodos. <laughs> beware of dogs. Don't you never say beware of dogs. Those who are irreverent to the gospel, to the revelation. That is now spoken about the ceremonies. Then it says, beware of the false circumcision. Then verse 3 now says, we are, Philippians 3.3, 3, for we are, Philippians 3.3, 3, for we are the circumcision. Which worship God where? So the circumcision of brother Paul is not the taking away of a foreskin. It is the cutting of the heart. And that's the same thing Peter used. We are the true circumcision. It is the Greek word peritome. Peritome. P-E-R-I-T-O-M-E. Peritome. Or Katatome is in two. Kata means against the circumcision. Beware of those. Watch, watch, watch. I like Paul's play of word. Beware of those who are against the circumcision. 
Katatomi. Beware of those who are against the circumcision or who are contrary to the circumcision. Which means, in Paul's vocabulary, there is a circumcision that must be taught. There is a circumcision of the Jews. But out of it, when we see Jesus, it is not ceremony. It is a message that takes effect in the taking away of the first king of the heart. It's a circumcision. Which will mean that the circumcision of Paul will be a shorthand for the effect of Christ's finished work inside the believer. So Paul brings in, now observe the strategy of Paul. I love brother Paul. Observe his strategy. Remember that Paul was a Pharisee. Hey, hey. Paul was a Pharisee. Eh? Who was circumcised. Who understood circumcision. Eh? Who preached circumcision. Eh? So, the moment he got born again and Jesus gave him that mission in Acts chapter 9, his theology didn't change immediately. He is now a Christian, just like Acts 15.5. He's a Pharisee, but now he's a Pharisee who believes. <laughs> he is a Pharisee who believes. So, there's a combination. Because Paul himself had to transition. That's why I now say, I count those things scubalong. I count them dung. Because that means before counting them dung, it was a practice which he brought into Christianity. But as he began to know Christ, those things lost relevance. Watch. Are you watching me? Are you listening to me? Now, so, he would just be a Pharisee that believed. And in Acts 21, in fact, he says, those who are zealous of the law, but they believe. They are believers in Jesus, but the law of Moses is their message. So we want to look at Paul's journey. So he says, beware of the false circumcision, for we are the circumcision. Are you getting the play of words? Beware of the false circumcision. For we are the real circumcision. So he's saying, out of that circumcision, the message to preach out of it is that today, circumcision is not a ritual. Circumcision is the work of Christ inside the heart of the believer. That's what Paul is teaching. That's what Paul is teaching here. Now, again, that word is not just for the physical taking away of the first skin of a male Jew. It stands for many things. The word circumcision stands for the practices. The practices. The mode of justification. All of it is called circumcision. The other time, we, we said Jesus used it in John 7, 22. It's used to describe a people and what they believe. The word circumcision is used to describe a people. 
and what they believe. You will also see it in Acts chapter 7 verse 8. And he gave him the covenant of circumcision. And so Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day. And Isaac begat Jacob and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. Acts 10.45 It's used for those who followed Peter to the house of Cornelius. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished. Then in Acts 11 verse 2. So the word circumcision was it's a phrase used for the Jews in their peculiarity among the nations. The circumcision and the things that follow that is how they worship God and their ceremonies that they adhere to. So circumcision therefore becomes a short form of describing the Jewish mode of worship. Circumcision is a short form of describing the Jewish mode of worship. You know Moses gave them about seven feasts. How many of you know that? All that is part of circumcision. Feast of tabernacle, feast of weeks, feast of unleavened bread, feast of Passover, feast of ingathering. He gave them about seven feasts. Now, in the New Testament, we are not to practice the feasts. That was Moses communicating Christ to them using the feasts. When Christ came, all the feasts were retired without benefits. So you know what baffles me with these people that are still struggling with Passover, which they rebranded as Holy Communion. They were seven feasts. So if you're going to carry forward Passover, which you call Communion, why don't you carry forward all the rest? Because if the seven were given, and you retire six and carry one forward, you are still a Jew. You are still a Moses Jew. Because if you are keeping one, under the law, if you break one, you break all. So if you break six, you are not, you're not following at all. See, I am teaching you apologetics. The, the, the art or the science of defending the gospel. I'm not only teaching you the gospel. With it, I am teaching you how to defend. That's why I take you through these reasonings. You have seven feasts. And you take only one. Selective morality. That's why Jesus will say, any of you that is without sin, since you said this woman was caught in the very act of adultery. Okay, good. She's a bad woman. Good. In fact, she is an evil person. But you, since the law of Moses says stone her, let's stay with the law. Any of you that by the law is without sin, cast the first stone. They all left, which means they and her, we are the same. If out of seven, you take one, you're wicked. You're very wicked. Keep the seven feasts. And have 
after keeping the seven feasts, keep the law. And complete the law, then keep Christ out. Because then you don't need Christ. What are you talking about? Leave that thing. People practicing Judaism and calling themselves Christians is the most annoying thing. Practicing Judaism in public without shame. And you say we shouldn't talk. If I had my way, I would borrow five mouths and add to my mouth. You're joking. Teaching good. I know you're imagining how five mouths will look in my mouth. See your head. I saw you in the spirit. <laughs> it's a figure of speech. <laughs> Glory to God. You're enjoying, right? You're enjoying, right? So, Paul says, beware of the false circumcision. Now, Romans 2.25. Kayabada. This week will be very sweet. We have five days to finish this 40 days thing. For circumcision verily profited. Wait, oh. Are you watching? Don't write notes and miss what I'm about to read. In fact, let's read together, everybody. Let's read like people that went to school. Can we go? As they goes to school, we went to school. Okay. Let's go one to go. For circumcision verily profited. If thou if thou do what? But if thou be a breaker of the law you are eating bread and ribena eh? makes you a Gentile. You are no more a Jew. If thou be a breaker of the law, thy circumcision is made uncircumcised. That's Paul's argument. Boy, that guy is. That guy has some serious Sophia. Man. And that's where you find Paul do a whole lot of explanation. Now, observe, he says, if you keep the law. Look at verse 26. Look at his argument. Verse 26. Therefore, if the uncircumcision keep the righteousness of the law, shall not his uncircumcision be counted for circumcision? <sighs> Should I read again? Okay. Therefore, if... <laughs> if <laughs> the uncircumcision the man that is not a Jew if he keeps the righteousness of the law of Moses shall not his own circumcision be counted for circumcision remember I told you circumcision is a short form for what the law of Moses so Paul, in his Sophia, is now saying, 
If a man is a Gentile and he succeeds to keep the law of Moses, his lack of circumcision automatically makes him circumcised. Because he has kept the law without circumcision. The essence for the circumcision was the keeping of the law. I love Paul's argument. Next verse. And shall not on circumcision, which is by nature, <laughs> if it fulfill the law, judge thee. Who by the later and circumcision does transgress the law. I mean, judge. You that they circumcise. You are the one that is breaking the law. Huh? Which neither we nor our fathers were able to keep. Hey, next verse. For he is not a Jew which is one outwardly. Neither is that circumcision which is outward in the flesh. Next verse. But he is a Jew which is one inwardly. This is the same thing Peter taught. And circumcision is that of the heart. Where? In the spirit and not in the later, whose praise is not of man, but of God. Wow. Wow. Exactly what Jesus taught in Matthew 15, 9. Look at it. Exactly what Jesus taught. That's what Paul is teaching here. But in vain they do worship me. Teaching for doctrines the commandments of men. Next verse. In fact, the verse before that. Give me verse 8. Verse 8. These people draw it nigh unto me with their mouth and honoreth me with their lips, but their heart is far from me. Then he now said the next verse. That is vain worship in vain. The same thing Paul is teaching, Jesus taught. Are you following? In the spirit and not in the later. The same thing Jesus taught the woman in John chapter 4. Worship shall be where? In spirit and in truth. Look at verse 29 of that same Romans chapter 2. 229 Romans. But he said Jew which is one inwardly. And circumcision is that of the heart. In the spirit and not in the later. Whose praise is not of men but of God. Then he now talks about how all have sinned in chapter 3 and fall short of the glory and all have become guilty. Then he talks about the faithfulness of Christ wherewith we are justified. Then he now says in Romans 3.30 look at Romans chapter 3 verse 30 Seeing it is one God which shall justify the circumcision by faith and the uncircumcision through faith. So both the uncircumcised and the circumcised, there's only one way of justification. Faith. Faith. Only one way you can be justified. By the faithfulness of Jesus. So if after you're physically circumcised, you don't keep the law, he says it is void. So he says, all have sinned and come short of the glory according to the law. Because it is the law that has made everybody a sinner, not the sin of Adam. Not the sin of Adam. It's the law of Moses. Okay? Now, 
But we are justified through the grace of Christ. How? Chapter 3.31. Romans 3.31. Watch this. Oh, glory to God. Do we then make void the law through faith? God forbid. Yea, we establish the law. How? The faithfulness of Christ. I came not to destroy the law, but to fulfill. So Christ is the end of the law for righteousness. So Christ establishes the law, how? By his death, burial, and resurrection. So Romans chapter 4, as a roundup, opens up with Abraham. Hey, for one. What shall we then say? Or shall we say then? That Abraham, our father, as pertaining to the flesh, had found facts about Abraham. Now, this is very vital. Then look at verse 9 to 12, because that's the vital part of this argument that Paul was putting forth in this book. Commit this blessedness then upon the circumcision only, or upon the uncircumcision also. For we say that faith was reckoned to Abraham for righteousness. Wow. How was it then reckoned? When he was in circumcision or in uncircumcision. Not in circumcision. But in uncircumcision. Next verse. And he received the sign of circumcision. A seal of the righteousness of the faith which he had. Yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. Twelve. Oh, and the father of circumcision to them who are not of the circumcision only, but who also walk in the step, not steps, it's just one step, of that faith of our father Abraham, which he had. When did he have that faith? When he was not yet circumcised. So Paul is saying, look, the physical circumcision of Abraham came after Genesis 15. Abraham was not circumcised before Genesis 15. He was circumcised Genesis 17. So in Genesis 15, he was already righteous by faith. So he was justified without circumcision. That's Paul's argument. <laughs> he, 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 he is telling you that Abraham's physical circumcision was just a ceremonial description of what had happened in his heart. That Paul's argument here, you know, that's his argument. He is justified by faith. You know, the moment you mention Abraham when talking to Jewish people, because Moses had told the people, I only came to affirm the covenant God made to Abraham. So once you say Abraham among Jewish people, all attentive. So Paul begins to explain the ceremonies of the law as figurative of the gospel Abraham believed. They were figures of what Abraham believed. That means faith in Christ for justification predated the ceremonies. <laughs> you are not hearing me. Paul is reducing the ceremonies to nothing. 
that before Moses gave you ceremonies, Abraham, who is older than Moses, was already justified without ceremonies. So what are the ceremonies? They are pointers to Christ. Now Christ has come. Drop the ceremonies, receive Christ. That's Paul's argument. So Paul is beautifully saying that the actor is Christ. The worker is Christ. That it is God that justified Abraham by giving him a promise. So the work of that promise is what now became the ceremonies. Paul intelligently puts it out. That what is the essence of all these ceremonies? Is it not for justification? He says the man who is Abraham has been justified before the ceremonies. So the ceremonies therefore are a pointer to what had happened to Abraham. They are a shadow. Honey, they are a shadow. They are what? If you look very well, you will see my shadow. I'm trying to make it come out better. It's disappearing here. Hmm. See my shadow. Can you see it? Am I in the shadow? Where am I? Outside the shadow. But when you see the shadow, if something was blocking me here, and you see the shadow, you know I'm close by. Eh? So there will be no shadow if there was no object. The ceremonies of Moses in Exodus is because there was an object in Genesis. The object in Genesis was justification by faith with Moses' ceremonies for shadows to Israel. That's why uh, the writer of Hebrews now will say, for the law, having a shadow of good things to come, but not the very image, can never with those sacrifices which they offer year by year, thereby make the commas their own too perfect. Because as they were bringing it, they were remembering their sins. Abraham didn't bring anything. So once he was forgiven, he was forgiven. Abraham never prayed any prayer of asking for forgiveness. After Genesis 15, he never. Even when he did wrong things, you know, he kept giving his wife as collateral to collect money for business. He never said, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Lord, for the thing. No way, not Abraham. When he tried to get a child with his wife, it didn't work. The wife said, what about the house girl? I, you know, get I. Abraham said, ah, it's true, I never saw. He took her, got her pregnant. He didn't say, Lord, I'm sorry. He knows once justified, always justified. Go and argue with the pages of your Bible. Abraham never for once, because he was justified. So if Abraham without the law could receive justification by faith and walk in the reality with all the days of his life, then Moses now came and gave them ceremonies where they were confessing sin every day. 
And yet with that, they were not justified. It shows you the weakness of the ceremonies, that they were not the end. The ceremonies were pointers to the end. Christ is the end. So once you come into Christ, you have arrived at destination. You can't come into Christ and be carrying bread and rye dinner. <laughs> Jesus is not to be pitied. Jesus is not to be pitied. Jesus is not to be cried for. He's not in the grave. He's not struggling to rise. He rose. He defeated death. He defeated sin. He defeated Satan. He defeated the flesh. He rose triumphantly. And today, he's alive in our hearts. So, even if we're going to remember Jesus, we're not going to remember him with crying. We're going to remember his triumph. We're going to remember his finished work. He did it for me. And I'm here to enjoy the benefits of his work. Glory to God. We rejoice. We celebrate. Glory. We are the circumcision that worship God where? In the spirit. And we have no confidence where? In the flesh. So we rejoice in God, our Savior. Stand on your feet as all of God for in the service. I tell you, we still have days to, to unpack these things. Are you blessed this morning? Stand on your feet, everybody. Say with me, I am justified by the faith of Jesus. Say it again, I am justified by the faith of Jesus. Say very loud, I am accepted in the beloved. Say very loud, I am the righteousness of God in Christ Jesus. Say by the faithfulness of Jesus. I stand eternally justified. I was justified. I am justified. I will always be justified by faith in Christ's faithfulness. I didn't hear powerful amen. Oh my goodness, what a service, man. Father, I pray for everybody in the service online, on television, on radio, that this revelation will explode in your heart, will explode in your mind, and bring alignment, and bring correction, and bring edification, and bring spiritual growth in the name of Jesus. And I declare sick bodies are healed. Whatever is not planted by God is rooted out. Your people are built up in knowledge and built up in revelation and built up in grace. And we thank you for answered prayer today. And we thank you for the blessing over this household of God. In Jesus' precious name we pray. And every believer says that amen on a note of finality. Are you blessed this morning? Wow, I tell you, man. You think about it. It's been done. It's been done. Hallelujah. Huh. Amen. Amen. Five days for the fast to be over. And this is not a week to be out of church. No matter what. Everybody, let's get back here tomorrow, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday. And let's end it with an explosion of celebration. Somebody say, I hear you.
We're here every day, quarter to six. I keep teaching, we keep praying. And it ends on Friday. The first phase. And then we take off for work. Don't you never say, get ready for work, man. It's going to be a year of work. We work for the kingdom. Amen. I said, amen. Now, like I said in the first service, two, three emails came to me within this week. And they were all saying, please, Dr. Damina, can you extend for us the, date, the deadline for the redemption and for the giving towards the project? We never indicated, but we want to give. Can you extend for us? So I decided to make it open so that those who are also having those thoughts, you know, we never stop you from giving because giving is in our DNA. So if you want to give to us a $100,000 project, by the way, I want to thank all of you who have redeemed all over the world, including in this house. I really want you to know that, you know, um, God counts on you to get his work done on earth. What did I say? God counts on you. And when you live up to God's expectation, you show God you're trustworthy. You show God that you can be relied upon. You show God that he can trust you to get his work done. And I want to say thank you. Truly appreciate all of you who have given. And those of you who want to give, you still are able to give. You know, by shooting an email to Dr. Abel Damina at yahoo.com. Whether you want to give $500, $1,000, $5,000, $10,000, whatever, according to your ability towards this first project of the year. I want you to know that we're very, really honored that you will, you know, count our ministry worthy of your money to trust us. And like I said in the first service, we are stewards. Every dime that comes to this ministry, every dollar, every pound, every naira, every CD that comes to this ministry, or rand, or kwacha, or sefa, or euro, or pound sterling, you know, Japanese yen, whatever. Everyone that comes to this ministry is well accounted for. Because you see, we are shrewd in using the monies that you give. Because I know that you give it out of sacrifice. I know that some of you deprive yourself things you really need to give because you believe in the project. And I'm going to stand before Jesus, like I'm standing before you like this, to account for the monies you give to this ministry. Therefore, we ensure that before the monies are spent, what they are spent for is what Jesus will be happy with. That's number one. Number two, we negotiate well. When we negotiate for this ministry, we negotiate very well. Because it's not careless money. It is money coming out of people's sacrifice. We want you to know that. That we ensure that we are accountable. We ensure that we are responsible. And we ensure that when we stand before Jesus to account for our stewardship, we will not be found wanting in any area. So whenever you give, know that your money will go exactly to that project. So those of you giving online, remember somebody gave for you to hear. If you give, you will help us get more people to hear around the world. Again, just shoot a mail to Dr. D.R. Abel Damina. You can redeem it within this week. And also, it's important to know that today is our partnership Sunday. So all partners of the ministry, make sure you send in all your partnership commitments this month. And like I said, next Sunday, we are renewing partnership for 2022. And I want to thank all of you for partnering with us through the course of this year. Your partnership comes to the headquarters. Your worship offering stays in the campuses for those in the campuses. As you partner, you enable us with your resources to do great things for the kingdom of God. And this year, we will do greater things than ever before. Therefore, we want you to know we appreciate you. And thank you for giving to this cause. Can I have a good amen? All right, grab your worship offerings this morning. We want to give in, I mean, your, your honor offerings. We want to give in honor of the word.
We want to give in honor of Christ. We want to give in honor of the labor of God's word. Every one of us in this house, those online, the banking details are scrolling for you to give. And those that are watching on television, the banking details are also scrolling for you to give your, your offerings of honor. You know, we give, we give in honor of God. And of course, after that, we're going to take another offering in the campuses. It will be your worship offerings for the running of your campus. Your partnership will come to the headquarters to help us do the things we do on a global scale. And we want to thank all of you who partner with us around the world. As I'll be praying for the partners in the house in another few minutes, by that time we have signed you off, we're also going to pray for you wherever you are. You never lack, you're enriched, you will make much more money this year. In Jesus' name. Amen. Lift up your offerings. Let's pray. Father, we give in honor. We give with joy. Giving is in our, in our DNA. And we rejoice that through our givings, we're able to make a difference globally. Jesus, we worship you today from our hearts. And our offerings we give to serve the purpose of God in this world. And thank you for the privilege to do this. Our offerings are an honor. A sweet smell before you today. In Jesus' precious name. And every believer says a powerful amen. You don't want to miss the service. You know, they, they brought the teaching this evening at 6 o'clock, 6 to 7. Then, of course, 7 to 8 is prayer. 9 to 10 is another teaching. 10 to 12 is prayer. Tomorrow morning, 5 to 6 a.m. And the circle goes till next Friday. We're excited. We love you guys. Thank you for honoring Christ and honoring this ministry. And thank you for continually getting more people to hook up and get to know what God is doing around this ministry. My three new books are out. I'll talk about them tomorrow and we'll give you the opportunity to order for them. Praise God. We love you guys and uh, we'll be signing you off as we begin to worship and give. Enjoy the rest of your day and be blessed. Let's celebrate viewers around the world for being a part of this service. Glory! Amen! We Anywhere trust the that you have been blessed by this message. To order the complete series of this message and all the messages by Dr. Abel Daminer, Please call plus 234-806-800-9939 or email powercityoffice at gmail.com.